Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Hey, good to be with y'all today. Um, You guys got to see, probably on your way in, some footage. We went to this AXIS conference, and and I just got to tell you a little bit. You've probably heard about it, but there were 2,000 teenagers. It's a sellout crowd. 2,000 young people in a room going crazy for Jesus, getting loud in worship, going nuts, all this kind of stuff. And it was so, so awesome. So here's the deal. There are great things happening in the next generation in our church, in the church around the world. It is so exciting. So here's the deal. We got to do a little bit. We would do this in youth. So here's, we got to do it. We got to get loud because God is doing things in the next generation. So let me hear you. You got to get loud. Get loud. All right. Yeah, that's good. Now we're all ready to go. Lean in. I believe God has something for us today. Here's the deal. I want you, and my hope is that as you hear this sermon, this word, and you hear from our teenagers, we're going to have videos, and they're going to talk to you a little bit. I want you to walk away with three things. The first thing I want you to walk away with is a deep sense of empathy for what young people are dealing with and concerned about. Two, I want you to walk away with a profound sense of hope, not necessarily for the church of tomorrow, but for the church of today, right? Our our next generation is not one that is way out in the future, but it is the church of today. You'll see a lot of TY shirts running around, and they're not all just up here on the platform or out there. They're back in the kids' rooms. They're serving. They're working. They're a part of what God is doing in the church today. Yeah, that's awesome. Number three, I want you to walk away with, and my hope is that you walk away with a convicting call to action for your part to play in the handoff of our faith. We all have a part to play in handing off, not just to the next generation of young people, but to the next generation of people following God, the next generation who is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. We all have a part to play in that. So we have to ask ourselves the first question, if we're going to speak to and have empathy for the next generation, we have to ask ourselves, where are they at? And not location, Cedar Bluff Middle School, not location, where are they at? Hanging out at the pool during the summer. But the question is, where are they at spiritually? Where are our young people at in relation to the church? They would call it Generation Z, right? Sort of that, that younger generation, teenagers to about 24 Where are they at? And so I didn't want to just tell you the statistics and tell you that. I wanted you to hear firsthand from some of our teenagers what the spiritual climate of their school looks like. Check this out. There isn't one. It's bad. There's like not one. It's not pretty at my school. Like half of our school goes to church, but like the other half don't. I just feel like some people don't really go to church for God. They just go for, like, the food and the games and stuff. What it looks like is just, I mean, making fun of people, telling them that they're ugly, fat, everything. I mean, like, disrespecting people. I was shocked when that first answer came across, and and she said, there's not one. Right now, the next generation's relationship to the church statistically is not very good. 
I wanted to show you this study by Barna, and a lot of the study and research that, that you're going to see today comes from Barna. Uh, they do, this is kind of what they do. They do a lot of statistics for the church, and they're a really reputable company. And so I know sometimes when we talk about statistics, it's like, ah, well, where'd you get that from? Uh, this comes from Barna, and a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about today do. But I wanted you to check out this study. They studied 24,000 young people, and this is what they asked. They said, uh, which of the following is true about Jesus Christ? And I want you to look at that third question on the end. And it says, he is active in the world today. This is what young people said. 21% of all of those teenagers asked agreed with the statement that Jesus Christ is active in the world today. That's only one, one fifth. Then... 32% of those teenagers who say they are a Christian agreed with the statement that Jesus Christ is active in the world today. I think it's pretty staggering. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are teenagers, where are our young people today spiritually? And I think the evidence is fairly clear that there's a lot of young people that are far from the church. Not just far from the church, but far from Jesus. And so then we have to ask the question, well, where are they? If they're not following Jesus, what are they believing? What is guiding them? And, and there's this word that a lot of the research points to, and it's this word called moral relativism. Moral relativism means that sort of what guides you, what uh, determines your decisions is based on what society says, it's based on what culture says, and it can change from situation to situation. It can change based on how you feel. It can change based on the, the pressures that you have in your life, the external pressures, the internal pressures. All of these things are guided and, and, and determined by culture. They're determined by feeling. And so our teenagers, this, this word continues to come up when we study what they believe is moral relativism. Barna said this in 2016, one in four Young people strongly agreed that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. Four years later, the percentage increased. Nearly one in three strongly agree that morality changes in response to circumstance. We're headed in a trajectory where young people are starting to determine their life decisions, not based on the truth of the gospel, not based on some sort of absolute truth, but based on what society says, based on what their friends say, their peers. Found this fascinating. Furthermore, only one quarter of all the teenagers asked expressed any disagreement with moral relativism. This is the spiritual climate that we are speaking to. And I think Jesus has something to say about it. Y'all right? You with me? You with me? We're going to have a family talk here. We're going to talk about this. I think God has got something for us. It's going to be good. We're, Jesus has something to say about this. And he, while he did not speak to Generation Z, he did not have an iPhone. I think he has some guiding principles, some things that we can learn about what it looks like to pass on our faith to the next generation. So I want to look at what Jesus did as he did this. He did it with 12 guys. He, he had these 12 people that he asked and said, hey, follow me. Come be my disciple. And what, the, what we understand is that most of them were probably teenagers. 
They were young people. And so I want to take a look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And Jesus, he is encountering some of the first of his disciples. And he's calling them and saying, hey, I want you to come follow me. This was a standard practice of a rabbi in that day. They would go and actually more often than not, they would have students come to them and say, hey, can I follow you? I've studied Torah. I'm, I'm a good student. And the rabbi would decide if they were good enough to follow them. Jesus did something a little different. He went out and found his students. And he didn't find his students in the synagogue studying Torah. <laughs> they, were, they were a different kind of crew. So here's what happens. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, later called Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus meets Peter and he meets him on a fishing boat. This is a rabbi and he meets his student and he sees him on a fishing boat. And his first interaction with Peter is, hey, I know I'm a rabbi and I know I'm a carpenter, but hey, I want you to just trust me. Go out into the lake and throw your nets on the other side. You haven't caught anything all day long, but just hear from me. I'm an expert. Go out there, throw your nets on the other side. He meets Peter and his first words are in Peter's context. He turns around, verse five, it says this. Simon answered, master, we've worked, been, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus met Peter in the middle of his context and his call to Peter was, hey, I'm going to speak into your context. I'm going to speak into your life and then I'm going to call you out to do something you've never done before, but he's still talking like a fisherman. He says, I want you to come and follow me and I will teach you to be a fisher of men. And Jesus does something that if you're a teacher in the room, if you're a teacher in the room, raise your hand. I know you're on summer break. I just want to, you guys are rock stars. You're the best. If you're a teacher in the room, you know something. Yeah, give it up. There is a teaching principle that is just the best. It, it's simple. It goes like this. It says, I'm going to do it. Then we're going to do it. Then you're going to do it. And Jesus, in his own way, goes up to Peter and says, hey, I'm going to teach you something new. And I'm going to teach you it in your context. Be a fisher of men. And I want you to follow me. In other words, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. And then you're going to do it. And he invites Peter on this journey to walk with him. And I believe that what Jesus does is he calls Peter out with what I'm going to call empathy. 
He reaches out. He empathizes with Peter's situation. He empathizes with Peter's context. And what does that mean for us today? How can we call young people to leadership, morality, the weightiness of the gospel, if we are not willing to go where they are, speak into their context, and speak the language of empathy? To be able to say, hey, I see you where you're at. I am confident in my relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to begin to speak into your context. And not only am I going to invite you to follow Jesus, the one that I know, I'm going to invite you to to watch me do it. And then we're going to do it. And then you're going to do it. You wouldn't speak to a fisherman in the language of a carpenter. You need to speak to a fisherman in the language of a fisherman and then adapt the teaching model. We must enter the world of misplaced identity and moral relativism and begin to speak the language of empathy. Moral relativism is defined and and almost virtue is found in moral relativism when you can see the other side. When you can see what someone is, is going through and hurting and say, well, okay, that view, that point of view, uh, it makes sense. I understand that point of view. And, and there's room for other thoughts and, and everyone can come to the table. And so it requires a high level of empathy. And so if we're going to speak the language of empathy... We have to understand what our young people are going through. We have to understand what things that that keep them up at night. What fears do they have? What things are, are they going through? Because the reality is that the statistics are showing us that this is a generation that has an entirely different worldview than we do walking out of the church. And so we have to understand, I wanted to show you this video. This is from some of our students. What is it that they fear in the most in the world? What are they walking through and concerned about? Check this out. The social standards are quite intense um, and it induces just a lot of insecurity in people that shouldn't necessarily be there. Uh, I fear pollution most simply because with the way the world already looks and seeing all of the trash everywhere, it just like, it's scary how much we produce as humans and the way that we just treat God's house, I guess, and the world that he created for us. What's happening in Ukraine, seeing the destruction that's been happening, seeing how many people have lost their lives or lost home. The real world, like getting a job, struggling, maybe even ending up homeless. Uh, just seeing the state of our the world right now and just the influence a lot of people have and just the future i believe this to be true they want to know that you care before they care to know what you know right we have to be a people that that reaches out and speaks to their needs and the things that they're going through and all of that we speak in the language of a fisherman but if you're following me and you're saying dylan i don't quite get it I hear what you're saying. Speak the language of a fisherman. Speak the language of empathy. But this young generation, like, they're so far from God. They need to hear the truth. Yes, they do. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. But I would encourage you to think about it this way. This generation and the way that we speak to them, oftentimes we do something and we pull out our bullhorn. 
We pull out our bullhorn, whether it's online, whether it's in the way that we live, the way that we interact, and we start to speak, and we speak very loudly, and I'm not going to turn this on because it would be a lot of feedback, but we start to yell in our bullhorn about, about things that are true in the church, and, and you should think this way, and you should be that way, and maybe it's something like we say, hey, this generation has no respect. I just can't understand. How could, they, how could anyone ever go through something like gender dysphoria? That's not of God. We start to pull out our bullhorn and we start to think about things even when it comes to parenting and there's young people and they're, they're trying this new thing called gentle parenting. Like what in the world is that? That's crazy. No wonder this generation is so messed up. And we start to speak things that are absolutely true about God and about how the way we should live and maybe some wisdom about the way that we dress. But the way that we say it matters because it comes across as simply a bullhorn rather than taking the way that Jesus did it and saying, hey, no, I see you in your situation. I see the pain that you're going through as you're trying to figure out what does my identity, where does it lie? Is it in being a man or is it in being a woman? And I'm confident enough in my God to be able to sit across from someone and say, I'm sorry. I am so sorry that you're hurting. I am so sorry that there is a church that has kicked you out the door and hasn't heard you and hasn't listened to you. And no, I don't have to affirm it, but I don't need to pull out my bullhorn and tell you how it is because my God is bigger than that. And I have identity in Jesus Christ. And my identity in Jesus Christ is so much bigger than a bullhorn could ever be. Because I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Then we're going to do it together. And then you're going to do it because of the overflow of God in my life. We have to speak the language of fishermen. There's a lot that we have to do in this world. With our next generation. And some of those statistics are kind of scary, but I think on the other side of the coin, there is a lot of hope. You see, because this generation is defined, Gen Z, if you start to research them, you will quickly see that they're a highly motivated generation, that they're very entrepreneurial, and that they, they're very driven by cause, and they want to do things in the world. They want to see change in the world. And so... Oftentimes, they're willing to jump out of the boat, in, in a sense. And so I want to take us to a point in Scripture where Jesus is, once again, he's walking with his young group of followers. And he's passing on to the next generation. And he's encountering uh, just life with the disciples. And you start to understand that these disciples, they don't have it together. They're kind of ding-dongs. If you read the, Mark, the gospel of Mark, you'll see like they, they get a bad rap. They're figuring this thing out. And Jesus has this encounter once again with Peter. And, and Peter, he's, he's kind of acting a fool, but he, he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to get it figured out. And I think this, I think that we have a generation of, of young people who maybe because of moral relativism, because of the worldview that they have and they're coming into the church with, they're going to come into the church and probably act a little bit like a ding dong. 
They may not have it all figured out. But this, this is, I think there's something we can learn from this passage. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, uh, Jesus' disciples are out on a boat, and there's a storm. And Jesus is walking out on the water to go and meet his disciples. And this is what happens, and they think that he's a ghost, they're terrified. But Peter, he speaks up, he says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. A natural reaction. Let me jump right out of that boat. I could see every single teenager in our youth group being like, pick me, I want to go get slapped in the face with a salmon. They did that at Axis. They were all so excited. It was crazy. Uh, Pick me, I want to jump out of the boat. He says, come on, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. I believe that we have a spiritually curious generation of young people. Barna, uh, they wrote this in their essay. They said, while religious affiliations are changing, spiritual curiosity is alive and well. The younger non-Christians are more than twice as likely to express a personal interest in Christianity compared to older non-Christians. They are ready and willing to jump out of the boat. And I believe that Jesus, as he was walking with his disciples, he did this. He made space for faith and failure. And we need to be a people who make space for faith and failure. You see, they're, they're so highly motivated. It says success remains a high priority for Generation Z. Nearly 91% agree that they hope to achieve a lot in the next 10 years. There's a lot to be hoped for. They want to do great things. They want to be a part of great things. I think there's nothing better to be a part of than the, than the church of Jesus Christ, Right? I want you to check out this video about what our students are excited about. What are they hopeful for? Check out this video. New beginnings, life. Like, I want to be able to find new people, like, making new friends. I'm most excited about mental health because it's a lot more accepted and talked about these days. And people don't have to hide what they're going through because of how open and helpful people are with just getting people what they need and the support they need. The upcoming generation, I have faith in that they'll do a good job in the world. Just seeing the next generation just come up and step into who they are in, in Christ. How the world changes in the next couple of years to see what happens with colleges, what happens throughout the world, any inventions, any cures to cancer, anything like that. Cures to cancer. It's no secret that our world is crazy, that there's a lot of things that are going on. But our young people are dreaming big. They want to see the world change. They want to see all this kind of stuff. And not only that, but I think that they're, they're, they're hopeful. But also on the other side of that, they're facing a lot. There's a lot that is, is kind of holding them back. Uh, it says this, um, over four in five Young people report at least one instance of a traumatic experience in their life. 
I believe that we have a generation of young people that are hurting. They're they are hurting and they're going through so much and, and, and they're, they're fighting. And, and you might say, well, my generation did that too. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the deal. I believe that this is true is that oftentimes we connect with people and we share the gospel and, and the best connection happens in our weakness and because that's where he is strong. And so it, it's, it's something that I look at and go, wow, I'm so hopeful because Jesus is going to walk across the bridge of relationship from my heart to another person's heart as we connect over our weaknesses, as we connect over the trials and the things that we're going through. And so this generation, they're fighting and they're struggling. And so I wanted our young people to share with you what their biggest struggle they think uh, is, what is the biggest struggle for their generation? Just being church hurt and having a false idea of who we are as Christians. I think a lot of people get this idea in their mind that uh, we're just not who we are, and we're not a loving church, but a, a, a hateful one, and one that they can't really embrace and, and find a family and connection with. It gets tough when we have all these things we have to learn in a certain amount of years, or we have to retake a grade. It's like family and stuff and them all being mixed together. It's just like a lot of issues that are started. Phones, social media, we uh, rely on our phones so much. And if you take our phones away from us for like five seconds, we'll all get mad. For me, it's always going to be technology because we are so invested in social media and just being on our phones or tablets or whatever. The struggle would be being around people not on the phone. Social media, for sure. Uh, the amount of time that we spend on our phones is awful. I think it makes people a little selfish um, because all they're doing is thinking about, you know, what other people think of them. Ego, because everything is turned into a competition and who's better than who, and I feel like that just gets in the way and it causes a lot of fights between everybody and it doesn't allow everyone to be unified and equal and on the same side for the really important issues. What does this mean for us as the body of Christ? We have a generation of young people that are hungry. They're, they're hurting. They're, they're going through this thing of moral relativism. And I believe this is that we are going to see all of this generation primed and ready. And there's going to be a lot of jumping out of the boat. There's going to be a lot of people coming into our church and looking for the gospel and looking for God. And they're going to fail. They're going to they're gonna come in and they're going to they're gonna not know how to, to act. They're going to not know what it looks like to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus. But here's the thing is that our God does not fail. He is always there right in the water with them, ready to pick them up and pull them out. But we have to make space for faith and failure. Look, it looks like this. I went to summer camp and I had a young, I had a friend of mine and I was in middle school. And I can remember he was new to his relationship with Jesus. He was starting to figure it out. And he was at camp. They would always have the third night would be like a, a Holy Spirit night. And they would always pray about what does it look like to, to speak in tongues, to talk to the Lord. 
And he was starting to pray about that and ask God for a spiritual language. And he was trying to figure it out. And he came to my friend and I, and he said, hey, guys, I think I figured out my, my spiritual prayer language. And he turned to us and he said, she came in a Hyundai, left in a Mazda. And we said, I don't know about that, you know? I, I, it's not something that you just develop, that you work out. It's not something that you, you reference the nearest car dealership down the road. And, and uh, it's, it's something where we, we begin to utter as the Spirit gives us utterance. And we step out in faith and we begin to walk in relationship with God. But here's the deal. is, uh, Man, he was trying. He was stepping out on the water. And we want to encourage that and make space and room for that. I can remember another time when we were at camp, and this time I was a counselor, and I was watching students in the altar, and they're praying for each other, and they're seeking God, and there's a lot of extra. There's a lot of extra down there. And there was a student who was laid out. He was laid out on his back, and another little girl who couldn't have been, she was like 60 pounds, and she's down there clearing people out. And she's grabbing kids and moving them out of the altar because I don't know why. She just decided that was what her job was. And so she grabs this kid, and he is big. And she's yanking on his arms, and he's not budging. And he's, he's aware of his surroundings because he realizes that if he starts kicking while she's pulling, that they're going to make it out. So he's kicking, she's pulling, and they're pulling him out of the altar. And I'm like, damn. There is something wrong with that. I don't know. But we have to make space for a generation that is far from God, right? That statistic. They don't, there's a lot of uh, young people that don't believe Jesus is active in the world today. How do you learn that he's active in the world today? You begin to try walking with him. You begin to try having a relationship with him. And along the way, you might mess up a little bit. You might do something like, I don't know, Take up a job in the altar and start pulling kids as they're kicking on the way out, right? There's, there's things that we just learn and we grow in relationship with Jesus. Jesus' disciples did not get it right every single time. But he was faithful. He walked with them. They grew in relationship with him. What a prime moment in the history to begin to watch our young people take steps of faith. I wanted you to see what it looks like when our young people start taking steps of faith. So I asked them, I said, hey, what is it that you are praying about? What are you seeking the Lord? What are you actively walking with God and, and starting to learn and build relationships with him? Uh, would you share that with us? And so they shared what, this is what our young people are praying about. Check this out. I spend most of my time just praying uh, to God, just thinking about all my life and just how I've been here uh, the, from the beginning when I was born to where I am, just thanking Him, just how good He is and, and how good He's been in my life. My family, I also pray a lot about what God wants for me to do. My grandpa that recently passed away because he was a good person down here. He was one of the best. He taught me a lot about God. He was a religious man. He was a good father figure to me. I spend most of my time praying about my family. There's just been a lot happening, a family dynamic change, kind of. I believe they're jumping out of the boat in faith, and they're going to meet a God who is going to be there for them, who is going to walk with them, who they're going to build memories with. And so if you're a young person in here today or you're new to your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you this.
is that uh, jump out of the boat. Don't be afraid of what culture says. Don't be afraid of, of getting hurt because Jesus is right there on the other side. All we have to do is, is put our faith in him, put our trust in him. The last thing that I want to look at is what it looks like to, to hand off our faith. And this whole time, Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's speaking their language. He's uh, meeting them with empathy. He's making space for them to fail and walk in faith and try things. And, and uh, then he comes to this moment with Peter. And I believe he teaches us what it looks like to hand off the right things. And in this moment, Peter, uh, the disciples have, have come with Jesus and they're, Jesus is asking them, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And, and we're going to look at their responses. Matthew chapter 16, uh, it says this, verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter's always going first. He's always got to get in there. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be, will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter, again, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I'm going to break this down for a second. There's this fascinating thing that Jesus is asking Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter answers correctly. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter, Peter is speaking out of his Jewish context, right? There is this, this idea in the book of Daniel that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be a warrior king and he's going to deliver the Israelites from their oppressors, the Romans, and he's going to lead them in battle and he's going to take on the the, the, the Romans and, and deliver them. And so Peter answers correctly. But then you start to see Peter's understanding a little bit because Jesus starts to teach them, this is what I'm going to do as the Messiah. I'm actually going to go and suffer. I'm going to go and die on a cross. And, and Peter's looking at this going, what in the world? Jesus is teaching an Isaiah picture of the Messiah. The warrior king would come later. And Peter, he's he's freaking out about this. He's, he takes Jesus aside and he says, no, Jesus, this is not the way. This is not what we're going to do. And Jesus turns and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. And I think what happened in this passage is Peter started to get things just a little bit twisted. He started to miss the mark just a little bit on what Jesus was really here to do. He was close but the Jesus that Jesus in his first interaction with Peter said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. 
And he starts to talk, and, and we see that when you study the Greek and you start to look at this, he's not talking about the rock Peter. He's talking about the rock, his death and resurrection, which is the firm foundation on which he is going to build his church. And so he, he says to Peter, hey, this is who I really am. I'm the suffering servant, the one who is going to die for our sins. And I think that what we see here is that as we pass on our faith to the next generation, we have to make sure that like Peter, we, have it, we pass on the right things. We have to pass on the rock that Jesus said he would build his church on. What does that look like? It means that the medium is going to change. It means that the methods are going to change. The culture is going to change. The people that are encountering the gospel are going to change. But here's the deal. The message of Jesus' death and resurrection does not change. It's, it's on that foundation that we are going to build. He's going to build his church. And there's a temptation that, that, to turn and twist that See, God is going to continue to move, not just in the church of tomorrow, but the church of today. My prayer and challenge as we, as the, king, the, the followers of Christ, we pass on the right things. We don't want to get lost in saying faith in Jesus means that you ascribe to a particular political party. We don't want to get lost in saying that faith in Jesus means that you're a social justice warrior. We don't want to get lost. It doesn't mean that you have to share all of the Jesus things on Facebook. It doesn't mean that you, uh, young person, have to have it all figured out. And I think that one of the hot button topics among millennials and Generation Z is deconstruction. It's on all over TikTok. It's all over the place. And I don't believe that we would see deconstruction work as a tactic of the enemy if we have not allowed ideas, values, and ways of living into our faith that miss the priority like Peter did. We need to pass on our faith by handing off the right thing, Jesus' death and resurrection to bring healing to a lost and broken world. That is when we, when we focus on that, when we meet our, our young people where they're at, when we meet them with empathy and we share life experience and we pass off the right thing, then I think we will see a generation start to begin to have relationship with Jesus, begin to follow him and begin to know him. And there's a lot of these kinds of stories. This is happening in the world today. We are seeing young people meet and know Jesus. Not just here at Transformation, but all across the churches around the U.S. and around the world. But I wanted to share with you one last video of some stories that students said about when they encountered Jesus, when they met him, when, when we did it the right way, when we are handing this off. What does it look like? It looks like this. My access story was just seeing so many of our own students be in an environment where they could just worship God and, you know, thousands of students just giving their all, giving their heart, opening their heart to just what God has to do in their life. One the whole week was amazing. It was just so fun to get to like see the kids like 
be able to just be kids. I made the decision to continue like with ministry, which is kind of a big deal. The head pastor of the Life Church had come up and he was talking about how God was moving and everything. And he wanted us to just sit there and really feel him. And then if we felt a calling for ministry of any kind, just to come down to the front and kind of accept his presence and what he's telling you and just to listen for it even more. And for me, that was the first time I really ever heard God speak to me. I felt him moving. It was pretty amazing because you could just feel him during worship and during the sermons when they were talking. You could really feel him. I love Jesus. 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 That's what I want to see. I believe that we as the community of faith, as followers of Jesus, can hand off our faith to the next generation and watch them begin to proclaim, I love Jesus, not just because of who he is, who my mom taught me, who he can be, but because I know him. I know his voice. He is real to me. And that's my hope for our church. And we're seeing it. We're seeing God call young people into ministry. We're seeing God speak to young people on Wednesday nights and in our youth services. And so if you're here today with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I, uh, that Jesus that can bring life change, that Jesus that can bring transformation, the one who is going to meet me right where I'm at, who's going to walk out onto the water and say, hey, jump out of the boat. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm, I want to experience relationship with him. I want to I try out relationship and knowing and experiencing the life change and transformation that can come with knowing Jesus. I want to offer you a chance to make a fresh start today. All that means is that you're going to uh, believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. And so this morning, I want to give you a chance by just simply raising your hand to say, I'm going to jump out of the boat. I'm going to trust God that he is who he says he is. So if that's you and you want to make a fresh start decision, I would invite you to raise your hand. If you would just lift your hand. If that's you, if you want to make a fresh start decision, I see that. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray a prayer, and, and as I pray, if, if you just simply join me in prayer, and, and all we do is we just say, God, I need you. Come be Lord of my life. I'm going to start to follow you. God, we love you. We thank you, Father. Thank you for every single person in this room. As we come together as a community of people following you, Lord, help us to follow you, Jesus. God, for those who have raised their hands today, who have said, I want to make a fresh start. Lord, I pray that you would begin to be Lord of our lives, Lord, as we put our faith and our trust in you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins and help us to be new and a new creation in you, God. Thank you for the life change and the transformation that comes by walking hand in hand with you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Amen. Now here's the deal. I want to finish one more with one more thing because we are all in this together. I hope that I've painted a picture of what the world, what it looks like to, to pass on our faith to the next generation in our world today. And so I would invite you, if you would just stand to your feet and we're going to represent what this looks like to be all in this together as a community of faith. And as I pray this final prayer, I pray that you would begin to pray over the people who you know in your life who don't know Jesus the next generation of people who are going to follow him. And if you know young people, maybe it's Generation Z, and, and if you would begin to pray over that generation as they are, they are the church of today and they're stepping into following God and leadership. And so if you would join me, God, we thank you so much for who you are, Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you are doing in the next generation, Lord. Father, I pray that as you are calling people to relationship with you, Lord, that you would help us to walk hand in hand with them and go after the cross. To seek you, Lord, to pass on to the next generation the right thing. To be focused on you, on your death and on your resurrection, Lord. God, you are so good, Father. Thank you for every relationship that you've placed in our path, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be a light to a dark world. Jesus, we love you. We put our hope in you. You are so good. We pray this in your name. Amen. Give it up for what God is doing this morning. Give it up for him. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.